What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is The Literate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a miniseries. This week we're doing Little Fires Everywhere. It's a miniseries on Hulu starring the amazing Reese Witherspoon, Carrie Washington, and showrunner Liz Tigler. Um, and the book is written by Celeste Ng. Interesting that that she's been having kind of, a, I guess a, they've been saying a moment over the last two years. And this book came out and kind of, uh, to use the title, caught fire really quickly. <laughs> um, and, and all of this business with the show moved really, really, really quickly. And it's been premiering on Hulu weekly, I think, mm-hmm. uh, over the last several weeks. We're still in the middle of it now. I've seen up through episode three and I've read beyond that. But I don't know really anything about uh, Celeste. Um, right. Because, okay, outright, this show just covers an amazing amount of topics. Yeah. Uh, help me do this, Taylor. Uh, this, is a, this is a book about a low-income, in the show, African-American family, in the book, a non-script white, white, yeah. white family, uh, homeless, move into Shaker, which is the up, uppity, upscale, white suburbia where in the kind, 90s in the in in the height of the old <laughs> peak 90s uh where the kind of the the town mom the upstanding family their mom uh rents out a property to this lower income family yes it's just a mother and daughter and then the daughter starts hanging out with the white mother's kids she has uh, two sons, an older, a younger, and two daughters. Right. Um, so it is basically the clash between these two families and the supposed order that exists in Shaker Heights and the chaos that is brought in by this artistic other sort of person who, who seems like they don't belong Mysterious there. person, different way of life. And right. So it's it's the idea of like, well, this is how life is and this is how this is the this is what we live for and the way I live my life. And then somebody comes in that really is challenging that. And it's so peculiar. Right. And in the midst of that, there is the scandal and mystery surrounding who this family is that has just moved in and why they are potentially on the run from something. You get a piece of that. There is a scandal involving one of her co-workers that has to do with a child adoption and who it belongs to. There is scandal about abortion that then gets put under somebody else's name so that you don't know who is actually one of the high school. This all opens with a house blazing on fire. And then it cuts in and and, and to tell you how we got to that point. So there's a, we, we get to the, I'm three episodes in. I've read (laughs) beyond that. I don't know who burned down the house. I don't, I don't even know that yet, but there's so much going on to, 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 I think that is the ultimate, idea of like, well, who burned down the house ultimately is the yeah. big question. And we're not going to be spoiling down that here. We're not going to be going to the ends of the earth with this plot, but we will be going in for a moment. And this is going to be a, a normal episode, but the, the the plot of this is particularly dense. We just wanted to warn you guys. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, Production. Yeah. How did this come to be? We're starting with one of the main actresses, Reese Witherspoon. She started a production company with her own money. And the big thing that she turned to was books in order to get these projects off the ground because she had had a lull in the late 2000s right. in her career. And people were like, oh, she's done. She's washed up. She's in her late right. 30s. She's what is she going to do? And then kind of fell through the wayside. But then I guess like right around 2013, 14, she, she really started to turn the tide. And I remember Wild being like one of the right. first things right back, hot on the scene, 2014, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I saw that in the theaters. 
incredibly moving, a wonderful performance, wildly uh, conflicting. But um, yeah, it, she had yeah, yeah. She that, had, I think this is all so, born out of that kind of that that kind of energy, right? Yeah, she she had been reading books and things had been sent to her that were not even yet published. So the first one, oh wow, that's yeah, cool. one of the first. Not I don't think it was through her company, but she was involved. She was one of the producers. Was Gone Girl. Oh, I didn't realize she yeah. was the producer on So Gone she was Girl. on that. Yeah. And then wow. Wild, like you said, Wild came immediately mm-hmm. after, and she was the star. And then she optioned a novel by Leanne Moriarty called Big Little Lies. Right. And I haven't seen that. That's on HBO. Well, yeah. It's in the past two seasons mm-hmm. now. Meryl Streep is, was involved with it, I think, in the most recent season. That's something I've been waiting to get to. I haven't been able to. I, I really yeah. want to, though. Nicole Kidman was also a co-producer right. on that. Yeah. And so that set them off to the races of being like, oh, Hot. Which is a yeah, and it, it was a, huge. Also, their whole take on it is like we're trying to make stories by women for women yeah. about women having to do with nothing but that. So that Hello Sunshine is the name of her company, and I'll post a link to the interview I saw in Vanity Fair. Very exhaustive about that whole thing. She's also very very interested in collaborating. Like the whole situation was, oh, we're going to have a bidding war between what production company is going to do Big Little mm. Lies, and then she's like, well, why don't we just make it together? Oh. And so then it, it ended up being What a made. crazy idea. Maybe we can join teams. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she is very quick to give praise to other people in this interview. People don't realize she was pregnant when Election, when she was in that movie Election, mm-hmm. that came out. And she had her first baby at 23. Oh, okay. Um, she plays a high schooler in that movie, but she was pregnant during that whole production process. And uh, the interviewer said, like, I can't think of anybody else who did that. Who yeah. who had that and yeah. immediately Reese Witherspoon is like oh Kate Winslet she was twenty five she had a baby after Titanic oh my gosh I didn't know that yeah oh wow and oh, she was wow. like we talked all the time about it <laughs> so that was like oh here's something that nobody knows that she's just like been tight Casual. with people in the yeah. industry like <laughs> yeah. she is one of the OG people and isn't just coming rising from the ashes she's always been involved right she's always been there yeah so. Celeste Ng was watching Big Little Lies in 2017. She said, oh, this seems like something that Reese could do. So she sent an advanced copy of Little Fires Everywhere. It hadn't been Mm. released yet. So similar, she knows what Reese is doing. So she took that risk, sent that book out and said, hey, would you be interested in this? Uh, Just on a whim. mm -hmm. That's that's really... You never know. So an well, executive, I'm a woman. Yeah, yeah, I've got a book. <laughs> I'm writing it. It's not. Out <laughs> so an executive producer at Reese's production company read it, turned it on to Reese. They were like, "Let's do it." Okay. All right. I see. I see. Yeah. I, like I was saying earlier, it, it, this is such a dynamic, multifaceted story. To me, the author is certainly reaching from from some sort of past experiences, but there's a lot in there that it, it seems like pontification to me, just yeah. at a bird's eye view. So I'm really curious to understand a little bit more about Celeste and how where this stuff really emerged from. Yeah, yeah. She grew up in this town called Shaker Heights, which is in Ohio, close to Cleveland. So the Shaker Heights in the book is a real place. Yes, it is a real place, and that is based on her life experience growing up there. I think they moved there when she was... 10 and lived the rest of her childhood there. Shaker Heights in the show has has this kind of looming. It's almost a character in of itself, almost like a Stephen King book, like Dewberry and It or something. Mm-hmm. It, it very much is a living, breathing community that kind of looms over the drama with the characters that we're watching. The high school is like very much a centerpiece of just like where these characters are orbiting around. Yeah. Um, Shaker Heights comes about in, I looked up a little bit about the history of it. 1912 was a planned community, one of the first 
in the U.S. Oh, Shakers were kind of like the Quakers, one one of those old Puritan type communities yeah, yeah, where yeah, they're yeah. more religious looking. But their whole thing was about order, planning, structures, specificity. Huh. Wasn't necessarily about diversity and equality okay. at the start. That came about in the fifties and sixties yeah, when the community yeah. then it became a model for that, but in sort of an underhanded way, mm-hmm. inclusive to feel yeah. right, right, like progressive. Oh, we're good without actually feeling like Celeste says in an interview. She's like, "There's a tendency to pat yourself on the back and go, I'm one of the good ones.' You actually have the same blind spots as everybody right. else, right?" Just because right. you did it doesn't mean that you feel that or that you're really actually doing anything good for anybody, this sort of underhanded altruism. I was listening to an interview with Celeste when she was talking about the 90s mm-hmm. um, and the idea to be culturally appropriate, to be you know politically correct at the time, almost the idea was to be race blind. To pretend almost as if the system does not act differently towards people of color. Or that um, that cannot be a part of your identity. Right. Just an invisibility there. We're the same. Well, we're actually not. And that, that's that's the problem that, that I think that a lot of this is trying to convey is that there is a difference. We need to acknowledge yeah. the difference, see the difference, mm-hmm. which we have. I mean, it's been 20 years, but that's so ingrained in the root of the drama. It felt very authentic to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's it, it's unsettling almost in, 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 in a way seeing my childhood in a lot of ways up on the screen and people I I would have known seeing it back at me with the conflict in it. I'm like, man, we have over 20 years. We, I mean, it's, this is such a a crazy conversation, Mm -hmm. the race conversation in America and how it's portrayed in film and television to actually see something just from, you know, 25 years ago, this is the period in which I was raised, right. being shown to me on television. And a big, Very peculiar. Yeah, a big criticism of the show that I've seen versus the book is that they do change it where the two competing mothers and daughters situations that are going on in the story, in the book, they are not different races. They are both white families, and it's more about class. Celeste says she found it interesting that so many people read it as Mia this character and Pearl, her daughter, being a woman of color. Initially, she said she wanted to in the writing process. She didn't because she didn't want to make her an Asian woman because that ties in with another storyline that happens Mm -hmm. later on. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to pretend like she could imagine what a black or Latina woman's experience would be like in this country. Interesting. So she was like, she's just going to be a working class white woman. But then with the show, people are like, oh, it's so on the nose commentary on this and it's like well she wanted to do that but didn't have the capacity now you have a writer's room of diverse exactly. people who understand that experience i found fa- i was able to find where they made the decision actually to make the lower income family uh african-american and i mm. thought it was really really fascinating but we're not qu- we're not quite to that that yeah. ties directly in with the other storyline but we're Shake- almost yeah there. back to shaker heights and a little bit of where celeste is coming from with this and where she grew up like i said it was a planned community um, that means they're everything they're trying to make exactly perfect, which sounds dystopian <laughs> in a yeah. way. Or a weird <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is. I mean, that's kind of the point. Is it like maybe it is a little, yeah. a little bit, <laughs> which ties into the main Mrs. Richardson is the lady, who the is, Reese Witherspoon, yeah, the Reese Witherspoon character, character yeah. and her obsession with everything has to be just so because literally this is true. The color of the houses, there is like an order whether or not your house is in a certain place in the town so that it matches, but it's 
different. Like it, it is a certain color, but it doesn't clash. So the city gives you a list of approved oh things that your house oh. can be. The city, if you don't mow your lawn, they will mow the lawn for you and then Fine send you. you a bill. There's no garbage cans because you leave your garbage cans at the back of the house. The garbage truck comes up and then there's a little dude on a golf cart who drives back to get the cans, puts them in and then puts the cans back in the house because it's unsightly to have all the cans strewn about. Whoa, that is a, that's on the road. The definition of extra. Yeah. That's so extra. <laughs> yeah. So this is the town that Celeste is growing up in. Her dad is a NASA physicist or was a NASA physicist Whoa. and her mom was a chemist at Cleveland State University. What she was saying when she was growing up here, she was a part of a student group on race relations, like as an effort by the school system where as a high schooler, she visited elementary schools and they talked about discrimination and stereotyping. Yeah. Reminds me like of the D.A.R.E. program, but instead of talking about drugs, it's talking about these other race societal <laughs> yeah. things. So she yeah. was like, I... I, I wonder how I would have taken that, a racial dare officer <laughs> right. coming around to like grow my empathy and yeah, grow my point of right. view. And that's that would where have she's, been fascinating. Yeah, that's what she's saying. <laughs> she's like, I didn't see any of this stuff when I was a kid because there were these potentially good efforts to make people aware that like, yeah, we're living in a weird place, <laughs> but we're trying <laughs> to fix how, why it was created in the first place. So she never thought of writing being her career either, because that's the most artistic, bizarre, un, you know, it's like basket weaving yeah. for full time. Like you, you have to be really out there. Yeah. And based on her upbringing, that's not the case. But she majored in English at Harvard, met, got her master's in, Lord. in at Michigan, and then took six years from graduating to publish the first book, which was Everything I Never Told You. When she did that had, come out? That came out in 2014. Okay. And this is the reason she blew up, because that was her first book. She had just been publishing short fiction here and there. Yeah. But it was Amazon's 2014 book of the year. Wow. So it just exploded. And then her second book, which is Little Fires Everywhere, which came out in 2017, was Amazon's number two book of the year for 2017. Wow. So That's, they really pushed her, their editorial department. Um, I'm so curious as to how those things happen. I'm yeah. so curious as to how... Artists find an audience, um, mm -hmm. uh, and I was listening again. I was listening to the same interview I listened to, whether um, where she was talking about in in that realm. There seems to be a kind of a an it author for each you know, thing. Uh, there's right. the, there's a, and this is race or this is down to just what what is what flavor are you looking for? And and it seems to be uh, the way of the business has been is well, there is already a a Chinese author, right? So she says you have yeah. to knock them out, knock them <laughs> out, or or you know, like so that's the competition. So how do you combat that? Right. She says she gets all the time. She's like, oh, you're the next Amy Tan. She's like, just because right, that's Amy really yeah. limiting. <laughs> this is like, also, what can we're I be about? me and can I be on my own? You know, like, or we're not even writing about the same kind of thing. Yeah. Like how how applicable is it? Like, honestly, uh, like well, you can write wildly different things. You come from the same maybe ethnicity at some place down the line, but good lord, why are we putting a ceiling on it? What we're what? saying there can only be one because yeah, people only have the capacity the, to think the, about it's that. It's the marketing and ads and agencies trying to proc uh, package uh, artists and that kind of stuff. It's all about consolidation. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a shame. And and I think now that we're realizing there's more room for more stories and yeah. we need more stories. The more stories we have, the more point of view that we can actually get, the bigger our empathy gets. So we can't shut stories like this out at the door. Mm -hmm. We have to see what, what people actually went through. 
There is one situation that I found, which I'll post a link because she wrote this when she was in college or very shortly after college, which she had been sitting on for a while. There was a situation that happened when she was in high school. It was a friend that she had in high school, sort of close, mm -hmm. was in the drama you know, club together and mm -hmm. whatnot. They went their separate ways. She was in the middle of sophomore year in college at Harvard, and this girl had gone missing from Shaker Heights. Oh. And uh, she was found three weeks later murdered in a trailer. Oh my God. Good and so Lord. there was a race component to it as well. Oh no. Um, and there were a lot of people taking different sides because the guy got death row. And wow. so white supremacists were using it as a platform oh to be like, oh, see, this is the like, look at, look at everything we said is true. These people uh, are bad and they're killing random white, uh, you know, no. that so kind of what, thing. So, uh, what was the race element of this? Because it was uh, a black guy. It was a black guy that killed a white, a yeah. white girl. Yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, I and they had worked together at a diner or something wow. like that. And it was his trailer oh, and everything. God. So then they were on that side, but then he had gotten death row and her parents were completely on the other end. And they were like, we don't believe in the death penalty we don't want this guy to be killed for this. And everybody that was on the anti or pro death row side was like, look at these stupid parents. What a bunch of idiots. Why would that, you know? So it got embroiled in all of these other questions that had nothing to do with this girl's life at all. She just became what? the piece for all okay, of these other hold conflicts. On. I, I'm hold on. So what you have just laid out sounds like a whole other show. <laughs> That is just as rich and multifaceted yeah. as this show, but totally different. But yeah. what you just pitched is like making a murderer <laughs> this is, is like true detective. Yeah. And this is definitely the party of five mm -hmm. in the same town. Yeah. Uh, so how does a how does she go? How does this happen? And it actually spark her to go the way she went, which is much more interpersonal drama than yeah. something as as, she, you know, town stopping as a murder yeah uh, that it seems like there's part of me going but like well why didn't she write the murder <laughs> well, trial will, where yeah. everything where all the stuff gets lost uh, through the process and yeah. instead she went for the the really introspective well who am i really in the eyes of my of my mother who am i really in the eyes of yeah. my daughter story well like i said she had written a whole article piece about this girl, it's called Captioning Emily, and I'll post a link to it in our show notes if you want to read it, because mm -hmm. she sat on this for a long time because it happened when she was in college. Wow. I would have never guessed. I, honestly, but I mean, it, this story certainly uh, has things where you go, oh, that's going to be, that's super real, you know, like, and the, oh, yeah. I know that I'm, you know, they must have known somebody just like, you know, I would have never guessed that this is coming, spurring off of the, the you know, the loss of a uh, of not even a friend who got lost in the middle of their own per, you know that their own town's yeah. pursuit of justice and maybe it is or isn't but i saw in this interview yeah, yeah, that she yeah. had definitely well, well, wrestled I mean, with it if you want to talk about shaker you know like <laughs> right. that i mean good lord i that's something you just don't go through in every town yeah um so that that, that that's wild yeah so the big conflict then that takes place in the book little fires everywhere and the show is not murder but it has to do with this adoption situation the low-income uh mother mia works at the chinese restaurant uh where she meets a another chinese uh, waitress who has quote-unquote lost a daughter there's a huge hole in her heart there that that mia is drawn to 
how did it happen in the book that she ended up losing her daughter? It's kind of a postpartum depression. She's not able to nurse. She yeah. doesn't have the resources. She doesn't even know where to go. And believe she the, can have. There's the, a language barrier in the store. She's thrown out of a store because she's a little bit short change of paying for baby formula, and she's just thrown out like scum while she's like holding her screaming baby. That's <laughs> obviously right. You know, so, that's the level. Her baby ends up being left at the firehouse. Yeah, she leaves it there. So I just am curious about how the how this goes down because the particulars of this are important for the I guess the discussion of the 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 politic of this after the fact. Right, and that's the question that Celeste tries to bring to the book, which was something I talked a little bit about Evan before when we were discussing mm-hmm. our notes and the fact that a lot of people praise the book in the sense that nobody comes out of it with totally clean hands, according to Celeste, and saying there's nobody a villain or a hero. She didn't want somebody who was clearly the mustache twirling right. evil person. But I think that the issue that I take with it is it's like every there's so much going on mm-hmm. that I did feel like she was leading us in a direction. And there's a lot of a lot of situations where it's like, oh, this person does feel this way, but they acted this way. But it is kind of a tragedy because I feel like we just get the pieces of that yeah. and nobody really gotcha. grows or she's pushing you one way at one point and then pushing you another way. And it's like, well, you already started me off with this person. Right. So I feel bad for the bougie white woman because she seems so evil. And it's like, well, I just want her to change. But at the same time, here is this Chinese mother who has left her kid at the firehouse because she can't care for it. But also this kid then gets raised for a year and given to a a family who does want to adopt this kid. The baby gets given to a family in Shaker, a well-off family. Right. And the Reese Witherspoon character is uh, throwing a birthday party for her friends who are raising this now adopted uh, Chinese baby. It's the one-year birthday to which she brings along Mia, the uh, African-American or the... uh, the uh, the middle class worker, she brings her along to photograph the the birthday, uh-huh. and this is where Mia realizes that the baby that she's here to photograph is the baby that her coworker lost a year ago and hasn't seen. And that is going to set off most of the end of you know the trajectory of this plot for the rest of the series is going to be the battle between the actual mother and the adoptive parents it's not a legitimate adoption but and that's why it's so muddy is that this is a particular case that isn't really how these things happen um and and this is even commenting on a craze that was really emerging throughout the 1990s a white affluent uh uh, parents seeking out you know yeah uh, children from asia or, or around the globe lion the the movie that came out a few years ago is about this exact thing about uh, an adoptive boy who loses his brother and then yeah. tries to reconnect with his whole family so speaking to what you said about these high profile cases regarding child custody yeah, yeah, yeah. in the 90s i did find one that this is explicitly the the counter to which most people would know oh. uh, baby jessica so there are two baby jessicas if we're confused one of them was uh, baby Jessica, she fell into a well in Texas in 87, took 56 hours to get her out. Reagan oh, was like, everybody oh, no. is the mother and father of baby Jessica. It was a whole media frenzy. I don't not, remember not this that one at all. One. This must be where all the like baby fell down a well things came mm-hmm. from. Yeah, right? yeah. See, I didn't know any of not that. Not this one. Um, there was another baby Jessica situation that took place in Michigan. and it was. Between- this is about affluent you know, adopting, white people trying yeah, to yeah. adopt out. So, yeah. yeah, there was uh, these two families, the DeBoers and then the 
couple that had the baby, Kara Clausen and Dan Schmidt. So Kara had the baby and was giving it up for adoption. She put a false name of the dad. Oh. So not Dan Schmidt's name. He didn't even know it was his baby. Oh, no. She changed her mind five days after the DeBoers oh, had gone through that. with the adoption. <laughs> the thing was, she had already done it. So she could not get the uh, the maternal rights back. Uh-uh. But Dan Schmidt could because it was literally uh-huh, his baby. So he then had no he, idea. He never had a chance. Yeah. So he did go. not relinquish the paternal rights. So they stopped all the proceedings to get the adoption fully into play. Because um, like I said, it was only five days after yeah. she had had the baby. Then the case, what became of it was, it wasn't even about the paternal rights. It was what is in the best interest of the child. Uh-huh. So do you have the DeBoers, who is this oh. family who wanted to adopt versus this lower class parentage who didn't even know whose baby was, you know, the whole thing. That's why is who can take care of it the better? Right. Why did that become the central argument there of who can take it be- care of it better? I mean, I think legally the the father has some leg to stand on yeah. there. If he has no knowledge of the child and it's been given away without his. Yeah. Like that, so that's, that's, that's actually case, a legal yeah. route. Uh, but again, I think part of the larger point of this whole thing is, is people getting lost in the details when something yeah. else happens? Uh, uh, that seems really interesting to me. And this, yeah. I, I, well, I have, so, my, I have to correct yeah. myself because I'm sorry. The, the the case went for the uh, Kara Clausen and Dan Schmidt. They did get baby Jessica back, so it didn't go with the adoptive family. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. It went. It went the other way. So that's what Celeste Ng is postulating. It's right. like, what if it goes the other way? Right. 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 People are more siding. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. With the affluent family as opposed to the people who originally had the baby. And in the case of Little Fires Everywhere, it's also about the ethnicity and is the cultural heritage of how, who you are. Is it necessary for the parents yeah. to have that? And is that important? Or like in the book, it's like, she's just like, why just, we have been raising this baby for a year. We adopted it through legal means. Somebody left it on the fire station steps. Should it go back to this mother who was clearly negligent gave it and, up, yeah. but, and gave it up just because she comes back now and wants it? Like, we're not Chinese, but we can easily learn. And it's interesting because in the 90s, sort of pseudo Shaker Heights mm-hmm. racist way, they're like, well, we got her a panda bear instead of a teddy bear, stuff like that. I think that like, is the particularly poignant things that I keep hearing about as I was looking into this mm-hmm. is that the the way that she exemplified the pseudo racism of the adoptive parents of being like, well, we gave her a panda instead of a teddy bear. Right. Gonna, you know, we're going to have a Chinese art throughout the house of being like, this is these are, I guess, the the best that these people could do at the time. And, yeah. and this is what we're talking about is highlighting how this just falls so short of actually understanding anybody from an from their point of view at all. Yeah. Instead of just pretending we're all the same and, and everybody looks and like an, you. Yeah. In an interview, Celeste was saying, she was like, I didn't, I thought maybe that that was too far or unrealistic, but she was like, when I was growing up, my mother bought tons of children's books just to try and find one that had an Asian character in it. Oh, or man. she tried to buy me an Asian doll or an Asian Barbie, but there weren't any. So oh, she got gosh. me a, a black doll because at least it wasn't blonde. Yeah. At the same time, there is the question, which I think, like I said, I think I don't see the balance of these parents still have the ability to care for this kid and this mother who has loved this kid. And my criticism of it is like, by the end, situations happen and they adopt another kid. And it's like, 
well, then does that mean that just be like an adopted kid is interchangeable? Right. And like, right. what is motherhood? Like she brings up is these that questions, actually, but it is doesn't. Is asking the question, does that automatically mean you fully see the situation and can comment on it? Like we can ask the question, but is that really getting at it all? Is that really or what is Celeste's Is that perspective? really a full yeah. dynamic uh, assessment of what's going on? And I think ultimately is no, but I think that's the that's the use of good art is to be asking those questions Mm -hmm. and that hopefully the next one comes along and maybe can have another piece of this puzzle that maybe perhaps this one is missing. And it's so interesting to hear that the book feels a little more pointed where the where the to me at least. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, Where I feel like the show I'm deliberately blinded. And I'm being shown people's backgrounds at the at the precise moment. And they have 10 episodes to kind of go into all of these thematics. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even gotten to a whole other major <laughs> storyline here. They have 10 episodes to dedicate an hour to each one of these storylines, each one of these dynamics, all of these characters. It actually, the way this plot moves, it sounds like it is more suited for a series, actually. Mm-hmm. Um it's very particular in where it's very siloed in it in the way it's looking. It's yeah. very it's withholding, very withholding of what information it's wanting to get across. The way that I saw it was kind of this concept of altruism actually being manipulation, which to me, like by the end of this book, I'm like, well, this whole thing's a tragedy because mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. has really learned this lesson. Right. Like nobody yeah. has moved from understanding. Oh, I'm do-. and and in the book, I think it is definitely taking a side that I mean. Just for example, the dedication of the book at the very front is to those out on their own paths setting little fires. So clearly, and she is an author who her parents were living in Shaker Heights on the grind, and now she's living this artistic, creative, bohemian lifestyle. Yeah, and she came her own from path, the like, affluent family. I mean, they were still minorities, but they were affluent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were well off and 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 studied, and <laughs> you know that's that's where she's coming from. So it's odd. You know, it's a, it's an interesting thing right. to have the other the other family point of view stuck right in the middle of that. What does that disruption actually look like? Yeah. The, the next major piece of this is, I think, a reflection of the kids through the mothers. Mm-hmm. So they're, the Reese Witherspoon character has two daughters. One is just like her. One is not. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot of drama in the first few episodes. And I think that the other daughter becomes the centerpiece for drama through the back end of the show as the other daughter ends up getting pregnant uh, and has an abortion. In the show, she takes Pearl, the, the, uh, the African-American girl, the daughter, to help with, you know, just emotionally get her through the abortion. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pearl realizes that her name is on all the paperwork and that the the Reese Witherspoon daughter uh, panicked and yeah. is putting the wrong name on everything on purpose. They go back to Mia and Mia realizes what's happened, takes her in. And this is where I, I looked into this. This is where it seems to diverge from the book. In the book, Mia is very warm, very receptive as the mom taking it all in, hearing it all, and being mm-hmm. empathetic. That's not the the way it goes in this one. Again, in the book, she is not a black mother. Yeah. I found a Washington Post article that actually touched on the decision to move the uh, the artist family into an African-American ethnicity. And it centers around this plot line. It came down to if the white daughter uses the name of somebody for the abortion, that means the name doesn't matter. And by extension, that person doesn't matter. If you take that problem to a white 
mother working for a white family. She probably will have a different reaction. She'll be a little more empathetic. She'll listen to it all. A, a black mother, perhaps, and this is the conversation they had in the writer's room, a black mother would, would immediately see that their daughter was marginalized. Mm -hmm. And the scene that happens in the show is an indictment of what the, what the white daughter has just done, trying to get across. And that the central conflict between these two families is... And, and why they decided to move it into African-American space here for these characters is it's a very different reaction. And if we don't go there, is it, all, is it really authentic? Mm -hmm. um, they asked themselves those, those questions in the writer's room and realized that where they had found them, themselves narratively at this point could change radically if you change the ethnicity. They were able to dredge up more authentic drama in this by posing that question than if they had just strictly followed the book. Mm -hmm. I think it's really fascinating, actually. Yeah. I think the big theme that's tying in with all this stuff, which I think maybe is what the book was trying to go for most, is about mothers and daughters. Yeah. And part of the tragedy is rejecting what your mother's give you yeah which i don't i mean i, don't I know, know I, I, the closest i can stuff. do is like maybe move my father did, you know like, <laughs> I, I i'm trying i'm we're trying our best as white cis <laughs> men trying to <laughs> trying to understand these issues but, this is very yeah. much a mother-daughter story so we're trying to tap into it the way that, that we know so um it, in celeste's words things are more complicated and maybe there's more to other people than we thought there was mm. and so i think that's why it's such a hard piece to critique as being like oh it's about this yeah. because she's trying to say well you, i'm trying to take everything from all different angles and not really present you with any answers right and say well you thought this person was being altruistic but they had the same problem in their life and it's trying to validate their choices and maybe this person who's really rebellious and bohemian is raising their daughter and all that daughter wants is to be like mrs richardson right. because her life is not moving around in a VW bus every two months. And that's interesting just on a class level. If you add the mm -hmm. race aspect to that, my God, you're exponentially increasing the drama here. Right. I mean, I, I'm, again, I just want to pat them on the back for understanding what that meant, what that could mean for the, for the narrative. Mm -hmm. I found an essay that Celeste Ng wrote that yeah. I think encapsulates a lot of this and something that I was thinking about when I was reading this. And so I'm glad that I was just like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, here yeah. it is. Because oh, cool. Yeah, I love when that happens, man. <laughs> I, I so often I feel like I'm just sitting alone at night, just like at midnight, just like wondering a thought about the world. And then like a week later, I'll be like, I'll read a news article. It's like, <laughs> right. this was happening in France. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I love, I just love when, it, when that when it was like, is this what the, ah, yes, here it is. This is yeah. the confirmation. You were, uh, the sneaking suspicion <laughs> turned proof positive. By the author herself. <laughs> She had written an essay, which I'll post a link to, called Why We Need Fiction in a World of Memoirs. Hmm. And it's this big treatise in terms of, in Celeste's words, unlike a memoirist who promises to tell the truth, the fiction writer says, I'm going to tell you a lie, but at the end, you'll feel that it's true. So by its nature, a memoirist says, this happened, this really happened, I must tell it, spurred by a desire to go on the record, but fiction's role is persuasive. Instead of memoir saying... I won't believe it until someone tells me that it really happened, and yeah. that's why it's salacious. Fiction says, I believe that this could happen, and you proved it to me, and that's why it's salacious. There you go. And it's a totally different skill set. And so I think it's interesting that she is geared towards that and, and still brings in a lot of her life. But I do think that that probably is lost, and we're seeing a lot of like – 
the Tiger King is huge right oh now, and it's gosh. but like if that was just an original series, might not be as cool. But it's the right. fact that it actually happened. Right. But, I lo- I love the duality of that. Is that you fiction, can try to tra- yeah. you can try as hard as you can to tell the truth exactly what happened, but at the end of the day, you might end up telling a bigger lie, and mm-hmm. you can try to tell a lie the whole time and wind up <laughs> actually getting somebody to feel something more authentic. Mm-hmm. It's bananas. Uh, and we covered I, I love that. In, a, in, a, in a crazy flashback to one of our less listened to episodes, JT Leroy was all about oh, this fictional uh, memoir. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Uh, yeah. That, that's that's perfect episode for that. Yeah. JT Leroy is all about the, the, the practicality, the use, the tool of narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Celeste Ng employs that very well, even though she's covering a lot of issues. It was something that I had been thinking about of like, okay, this is about a town that she grew up in. Were there situations that happened like this? And she is adamantly like, I'm writing fiction. Because I'm trying to persuade you, this could happen, mm-hmm. and what does that make you feel? Maybe that's why she didn't do the murders. I don't right. know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's what. That's what I. That's where immediately where I go to is like, what? That's what. Ultimately, she wanted to talk about these things, and I'm really thankful that uh, in this time right now, I've got something fresh, feminine uh, <laughs> to to go to. I'm yeah. behind on uh, Big Little Lies. But I'm glad that this is this is hot. This is part of the conversation right now. And if you're into mothers, stories of motherhood, women, like things that are not usually represented in typical Hollywood fashion, Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine, they also have a book club where they feature only books written by women about women. Oh, that's tight. Like she's on this game. So that's why we were excited to talk about this, because here is something if you feel like this is a space that's lacking, she's full force trying to make this put this into the forefront yeah that's super cool a couple announcements yeah we did another show for april 1st uh taylor you got the details on yeah that. it's called judge a book we did it through the app uh, pocket cast which is a great app to listen to podcasts but wherever you're listening is fine too but we did a, a promo with them so we made a whole fake podcast judge a book judge a book by its cover where we judge a book <laughs> by its cover it goes off the rails uh if you missed it for april 1st april fools it's still up you just have to search judge a book on any podcast platform and you can listen to it it's just us having a little bit of fun um and we wanted to give a shout out to our international listeners and make a pledge that we're going to try to do some more internationally themed content. That we're not going to try to focus on the U.S. too much. We're still going to touch on the U.S., but we're going to broaden the. We're always trying to broaden the scope of the show. We so have had people we reach out you, to baby. us. Yeah, we've had people reach out to us from Turkey, from Central America, from all over the world, saying they listen, they love it. Um, so we're gonna we we, we hear you. That's and just given us a, a confidence to expand our purview here, trying to what more stories film can literature we, can we wise. find. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so you know, get in touch with us. Let us know what what you're what you're excited about, what you're reading, what you're listening to, what you're watching. Um, we will catch you all next week. Yeah.